As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard The Athletic's Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. Hey Jets fans, this is Tim McMaster, co-host of the Can't Wait Podcast. The Jets are in London this week to take on the Falcons. Connor is busy trying to figure out how to drive on the left side of the road, where to get fish and chips, where they'll fit into the press box power rankings, all that stuff. So we have a little bit of a different episode for you today. John Beck was once a rookie quarterback in the NFL, like Zach Wilson right now. Now he spends his time preparing young quarterbacks for life in the league. The BYU product has known Zach for years and he helped him get ready for his Jets career. He shared insights on Wilson's pre-draft prep and what he thinks will make the Jets rookie a successful signal caller for many years with Robert Mays on the Athletic Football Show this week. Enjoy the interview. Enjoy the game on Sunday. We'll be back with a full recap next week. After the Beck interview, I'll have the picks, our picks, for Week 5. All right. I'm thrilled now to welcome... Quarterback coach, quarterback trainer, former NFL quarterback, a lot of different titles we could throw around here. John Beck. John, thank you very much for taking the time to do this. I sincerely appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. So you trained a lot of these guys, these first round picks before the draft, which is why I wanted to do this. It's a we're a quarter of the way through the season. A lot of them have played a decent amount. Some of them are on the verge of playing. I thought it was a good time to just do a rookie quarterback check-in. And you obviously have an interesting perspective coming from a couple different points. The fact that you work with some of these guys, but also you played as a rookie. And that's where I wanted to start because just the challenges and the differences between the college game and the NFL game and what that transition is like. I wanted you to walk me through what your experience was like as a rookie because you played later in the season, but I'm still sure you took a ton from that experience and how it could apply to other guys. So what would you say is the biggest challenge when you actually get on the field as a rookie in the NFL? I would say it's the situation that you're dropped into, things that you have no control over. Yeah. You know, being, being drafted as a rookie is really exciting, right? You've been working your whole life. You go through your college career. You're, you're drafted because you had a successful college career. But then you don't get to pick the situation that you fall into. And, uh, you know, my rookie year, I think we were 0-9 when I became the starter. Um, and it was a difficult position. It's already a jump from the collegiate game because the speed of the game, from a quarterback standpoint, 
you know, back in those days, there was a big jump from what you did uh, offensively in college to what you're being asked to do in the pros. There still is a jump. You know, you always hear those rookies talk about just how big the playbook is, the wording of the offensive plays, all those things. I think it's been minimized over the years. And I shouldn't say minimized, but I think that colleges and pro teams, there's not as big of a gap in what they do offensively as what they used to do. I think it's preparing quarterbacks better to play younger in the NFL, but still, it's still that that jump. And so I just think if I were to say the biggest thing, it's it's really the things that you don't control. It's uh, I, I would have never guessed that my first start would have come when my team's all in nine. Um, you get drafted by a team, they kind of tell you their plan. And then all of a sudden the season starts, things change, injuries start to happen. You know, for all these guys, some of them are playing still with the starters that started the beginning of the season, the majority of them. You know, when that middle of the season hits, a lot of times if you're one of those injury riddled teams, like it's tough. It's tough to win in the NFL with your starters. It's even tougher when you start losing some of those guys. So I think for a rookie, it's the situation that you get dropped into. I think that's the biggest challenge because not all situations are equal. So I want to get back into that, but I have one thing I wanted to ask you about that convergence of the college and pro game because I find that so interesting. Where would you say the gap has shrunk the most? Is it verbiage? Is it design? Where is it smaller than you think it's ever been? So it doesn't hold true for all teams, but some teams are shortening their language. They're trying to make it easier for the younger guys to play comfortably sooner. You have some coaches that have been in the league a long time that they stay with what they do and they still require the quarterbacks to be able to, to hold true in that long language, right? To be able to have those really long play calls. But there are some coaches that they say, hey, if I want my guys to play their best, I got to find a way to shorten the language. And they do. Um, but I also just think uh, collegiately, there's far more access to, to NFL tape. I know a yeah. lot of colleges that their quarterbacks spend a lot of time watching NFL tape, either because a coach came from the NFL ranks down into college or because they have access to the scheme they're now trying to copy what those nfl teams are doing so you see a lot of colleges around the country where i'll be training these guys for pre-draft and they'll start rattling off all this nfl tape that they watched while in college to help them set up their system for their college so i think all those things are really helping and also where quarterbacks are coming from nowadays you have quarterbacks that are getting lots and lots of reps in the past game through high school they're well prepared for college because they're well-prepared for college, they're able to build upon that. And then they take all of those experience and reps into the NFL game. Where would you say, can you think the best example of that that you'd be comfortable sharing? Like what a college team that you feel like, oh, you've, you've clearly watched a lot of this. I mean, I'll just use uh, BYU's Zach Wilson, for example, just okay. because I've known him for so many years. All throughout his collegiate career, he was watching NFL tape. He was watching NFL quarterbacks. And then his offensive system those coaches had access to a bunch of teams tape and they would try to use that in their scheme. So, you know, if you go in their database of film that they're watching, they're watching the Kansas city chiefs, the San Francisco 49ers, the new Orleans saints, like they're watching a lot of those things and they're pulling some of those offensive schemes into what they're doing. And then here's Zach, right? He gets to watch, Oh, that's the scheme that we're going to be running. Here's a bunch of clips of drew Brees running it. Here's a bunch of clips of Patrick Mahomes running it. I remember back when I got my first chance to watch some NFL tape. It was a former NFL offensive coordinator, Rod Dauher, with the Eagles. I had done some work with him in Arizona. He gave me a VHS tape of an Eagles and a Patriots <laughs> game. And I took it back to my college apartment, and I, I, I sat there watching it, like just trying to soak in everything that I could. But 
until I got to the NFL, that was the only NFL tape that I had seen while in college. So it's drastically different nowadays. It's amazing what technology has done to just the way that ideas are shared and stolen in the football world. I was talking to Joe Barry, the, the Packers defensive coordinator during training camp. We were sitting down talking about stuff and he's like, I wake up every Monday morning and I can watch anything at the click of a mouse, anything, anything in the football world is available to me. And I think that the cross pollination that's happened as a result of that is kind of an underserved story about the way that ideas have traveled from college to the NFL, from the NFL to college between NFL teams. It really is a flat world right now and how those ideas work around. Absolutely. And I'll even go further and say how it's influenced also the high school game. Um, Matt Ryan and I played collegiate ball at the same time, played against each other in college, and he trains with us in the offseason. And we talk about the impact that all of this information and technology has had on kids entering uh, college football. Those, those kids nowadays that come from those systems in high school, I'll use like a modern day here in Santa Ana in Southern California, the number one team in the country. What they do offensively prepares them so well for college football. Like Bryce Young right now, starting quarterback Alabama. He's a modern mm -hmm. day kid. So well prepared for the collegiate game. Matt and I's conversations are about, remember when we jumped into the college game, how much we had to learn, how much was so different from what we did in high school. So I think it trickles all the way back to these kids going from high school into college, then having that experience and then playing through college. Now they're, they're being prepared for the NFL game better than ever while in college. And I think that does have an impact. Is it still a challenge? Absolutely. Because the same thing is happening defensively. The coverages that these guys see nowadays, the like little nuances that are different from the game that was played 15 years ago, it does have an impact. There are some schemes that are really, really savvy schemes that quarterbacks have to still work just as hard, if not harder to prepare for. So I think it does go both ways. And that's why the NFL game still is a challenge when you put these young quarterbacks out on the field early. How do you feel about playing early? Like, where is your like philosophy about it? Do you think that there's value in sitting or do you think that at a certain point it's really useful and crucial for guys to get out there as soon as possible? Because you played, you, you were about 11 games in, right? So you watched three quarters of a season. Do you think yeah, that think there's that stuff like, that you just needed to be on the field to learn? Absolutely. I, I look, I believe that there are these fundamental things that all young quarterbacks, I call it like the going through process, right? Like, these teams have to understand that these quarterbacks just have to go through these things and to go through them. It's a lot about the team and what they're willing and are they, you know, devoted to that quarterback, how they need to be. I think that he has to play through bumps in the road. Most quarterbacks that you talk to that have had successful careers, they can all go back in time to those, those beginning years to their career and tell you about all the lumps and the bumps that they had to take and play through. But because the team allowed them to play through them, they grew and developed. Like, I, th I think it's really important for a quarterback to be able to put things out there, play on game day, have a season, and then go back in the offseason and be able to learn and grow from that and then work within the same system. I think that there's certain things that make it difficult for a quarterback. If you throw a young kid out there in a difficult situation where he's just getting pounded and it's just scar after scar after scar, he's going to have to overcome those scars just like any other injury, right? Somebody blows their knee. They have to recover. They have to go through a rehabilitation process. If you put a young quarterback out there in a bad situation, it doesn't matter how hard he tries, how much tape he watches. He hasn't experienced enough to succeed in that situation. So he's going to take his lumps. Well, now you have to go through what I call the similar, like a rehabilitation process. They have to play through all of those things. you got to get him back out there in the same system and let him play through that. One of the worst things that you can have happen is have a quarterback 
change systems constantly, especially after a tough year. I look at Alex Smith. The guy went through like four or five offenses in his first yeah. four or five years. And people are saying like, well, this number one draft pick isn't, it's not fulfilling what it should be. Well, was the situation set up for Alex to be able to play, learn, play, learn, grow within a system? No, it wasn't. Right. And then he went on to have these great things happen at the end of his career. And a lot of it, I think, was because he got to play through and then learn from those things. So for, for these young guys, look, I do think some guys need to sit. I do think that there are some guys that they just need a little bit more time to adapt, a little bit more time to feel comfortable with the offense. Right. Um, not everybody's fully prepared for the offense that they get drafted into. It may take some learning. I think especially if you have a great quarterback in front of you, I think it's awesome to watch that guy prepare, perform, watch how he handles the adversity, watch what he does after a loss, watch what he does going into a playoff game. Just watch all those things about how he is a pro. I think that can absolutely help. But if you have a good situation, I look at some quarterbacks that were in my era, the Joe Flacco's, the Matt Ryan's, right? Like they had a solid defense. They had a run game. It set up the play action game. That's great that you can insert them in and let them play. And yes, they'll still have to go through the ups and downs of playing young, but the situation isn't just going to kill them. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Where do you think is the biggest gap between the board and the field? The thing that some is a specific thing you just cannot learn until you actually see it in real time, no matter how much time you spend studying it. Um, gosh, you know, that's kind of tough because I, I, I think it's different for every quarterback. I okay. think that there are some guys um, that they can transition well, right? Um, whether it's because of the experience they had before entering the NFL or whether it's because just as the way they learn, they need a little bit more time. I think that there are some guys that just innately with a certain number of reps can get it. Other guys need more reps. They need to experience more of it. And it doesn't mean that the first guy is going to be the better quarterback. It just means they have different learning styles. Um, you know, I do think that there's something about though playing in games as opposed to practicing. D'Angelo Hall, who's a cornerback, a former teammate of mine, he, he made a great comment a couple of weeks ago. And he said, you know, when, when you're getting practice reps, when, when you're getting scout team reps, like, although those are good for you, that's not going to prepare you to be a starter in the league. If you want to be a better starting quarterback in the league, you got to be the starting quarterback in the league. Like you got to put it out there. You got to play and you got to learn through game day experiences. And then you go back and you spend the week getting better. Then you go right back out there to game day. So I do think that there's something about game day experiences, the more of them. You can't ask a quarterback to succeed on game day if he doesn't have a lot of game day experiences going into it. 
So we talked about situation and about you, how you can't control it. When you're looking at the situation, let's say these five first-round quarterbacks are in, who do you think from a coaching perspective has done the best job of helping their guy get comfortable early on from what you've seen? Oh, well, I can only say what I think I'm seeing. Um, you know, there are a few teams, <laughs> like there are a few teams that I do get to have some dialogue with because you know, they, they drafted a guy that I trained or somebody I've known for a while, or I've known the coaches for a long time. A lot of these coaches that drafted quarterbacks, I played for them or I have a relationship with them. So I get to know a little bit more, but you know, when I dive into like what new England's doing, what Jacksonville's doing, like what Chicago's doing, like, I don't totally know what's going on in those places to help their guys. I can only go based off of what I, it looks like I'm seeing, uh, you know, I do know the guys in San Francisco and the guys in New York, and I do know that they, they work relentlessly to help put that those guys in the best situations possible. Um, those like they gave also Zach, for example, they gave him so many reps during the limited off season that they have, that they had, they knew this is going to be our guy. The more reps he gets, the more experience he has, the more time he can spend with us. It's all going to work for the better when he does finally play on game day. And then to them, I know that they also respond a certain way. They have a plan of how they respond for his games. Michael Lafleur does a great job of handling Zach on the sideline. The way that the team uh, speaks to Zach is a big deal about how they're trying to help him be comfortable. It's not only about offenses, right? It's not only about play calls. It's about the environment that they're in. I think for so many of these guys, they're aware. One of the reasons why quarterbacks, I believe, are successful is because they're aware. They're aware of their surroundings. They're aware of the details. They're aware of the small things that it's going to take for them to succeed. Because of that awareness, um, they, they can put together great plans of action for themselves of how they can succeed. But also because of that awareness, they're fully aware of the situation that their team is in. They can feel it when, hey, this is not my starting guy here. This is not the starting guys here. And then at mm -hmm. times they may be so aware of also the culture of the team. What does this team need? What state are we in? And because they're so competitive, this is why sometimes you hear a coach tell a young quarterback, hey, we, we just don't need you to try to do too much. We don't need you to try to play too perfect. The very thing that helps those guys be great is also the very thing that in difficult situations can be the double-edged sword and it can cause them to try too hard, to try to make too many perfect plays. So I look at it as also which team is telling this kid, we're riding with you, dude. We're going to stick with you. We, like, we want you to play your game. We trust that you're going to grow from the mistakes and we're going to ride with you through those mistakes. There's a great thing that uh, Mike Holmgren shared about Brett Favre where basically he approached Brett and said, like Young and Brett's career, look, whether we sink or we swim, we're in it together. We're sticking with you. And uh, to me, I think that speaks volumes for the relationship that has to happen within an organization for their first-round quarterback. When you take a quarterback that is supposed to be your franchise guy, it can't be about the right now. Like, you got to get it done now or we're going to like move on from you. It has to be about the investment over the long haul. So when I think the question when you say, what are these teams doing? It's not so much about the play calls. It's not so much about the offense they're trying to build for that guy. It's about the entire culture that they're creating within the building so that if he does go out there and play a crappy game and throw a few picks and take some bad sacks and suck it up, like that's going to happen. It's how does that dude feel when he walks in the building on Monday and how is that environment that the coaches are creating for him about him going back and focusing on the process, focusing on the development, this is part of the steps that it's going to take to get to where we believe you can get. I think that's the bigger thing. So let's talk about Zach. Obviously, you said you've known him for a long time. You worked with him before the draft. 
I wanted to ask you just what you saw on Sunday against Tennessee compared to what he showed in the first three games. Where do you think he made the biggest strides after week three compared to what he showed on Sunday? Well, you know, I think a big factor were the big plays. Um, it showed a lot of poise by him to be able to get out on the edge, kind of slow his feet down, recognize that he had space, not trying to go too fast through space and throw those deep balls down the field. The fumbled snap that he was able to make a play on was big. Yeah. You know, to me, I, I – I still see, right, like Zach knows that there's still some throws out there that he should hit and he wants to hit him, and those will come. Um, I think that the biggest thing I've seen is in some of those comfort level big plays down the field, knowing when's the right time to take them when it's not, right? Uh, Coach Sala made a comment saying, like, look, we just need him to be a little bit more boring, right? It wasn't Zach will, <laughs> Zach will never – he will never have a boring style of play. He's – got too many of these just great playmaking abilities his slipperiness his his ability to get out of the pocket out of things throw on the run like Zach Wilson will never be a boring quarterback but what he was saying was have it be at the right time there may be an entire quarter that goes where we don't have an opportunity to take a shot and you just take check down after check down that's what made Drew Brees great what makes Tom Brady great and then when the opportunity to strike is there you take it so I think one of the things that I saw from this last week in Zach was those balls that were shots down the field, those were good shots down the field at the right time. And when he took the things underneath, it was at the right time. And to me, that's that's an effect of him maybe trying to make plays the first couple games and then here saying, I'll take them when they're there. And that's going to continue to happen. And like I'm looking forward to as Zach continues to grow and we feel more comfortable with all of this, like you're, you're going to see him start to now manipulate knowing, hey, yeah, the check down is there or the flat is there, the outlet, but I do feel space. I do have time and I can start to manipulate with my eyes. And then those balls that like, yeah, there was a few down in the fourth quarter overtime that he knows he should hit. He'll hit those as well. And that's when then you're going to see the completion percentage climb. You're going to see the yards per attempt climb, all those other things. What would you say is the biggest gap between what, because you know this offense well, what would you say is the biggest gap between what he was asked to do at BYU and what he's asked to do in this system? Um, I would say it's just the quantity, kind of the volume of, of, of plays and how within all of those plays, there's a lot of uh, intricate details specifically to every single one. Um, you know, BYU runs a really cool offense right now. They're doing a great job. They're a top 10 team in the country. Um, they're great in the run game, the play pass game. I love the offense that they're running for collegiate football. It's great. Um, but a lot of times you'll, you'll, you'll see it's conceptually a lot of the same concepts and then they can kind of shift around the action that they use off of play pass or formationally how they get to certain things. So I think one of the biggest things for Zach is it's taking those concepts. It's taking those ideas and those reads and saying, now we're going to expand so in Zach's world of offense, what might have felt like this now feels like this. And he's such a detailed person. You know, one of the things that if you talk to anybody at BYU, it's about what was Zach like when he was there. It's about how well he knew the offense, um, how much detail he knew in every single little aspect of the play. Well, that's the way that his mind functions. That's how he wants to feel in every single play. Well, all of a sudden, when it expands from this to this, now that space that he's trying to get to, that's going to take time. That's going to take experience. And that's why he's going to get there. But to me, I, I would say in our conversations, our time around each other, it's that expansion and volume of offense. And then it's his desire to know the offense in great detail in all of those new ideas, concepts and plays. 
Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This may seem a little bit granular, but I think it's kind of a wider-ranging conversation around the league. As more of these teams adopt this heavy play-action boot style, like style of offense, a lot of defenses are responding just with guys screaming off the edge. Nickel pressures or edge guys that aren't even looking at the run anymore because they'd rather blow it up than play the backside of a run play. And he's had a lot of pressure sent after him. I think he's getting blitzed on like 30% of his dropbacks, which is one of the highest rates in the league. So within that offense... How do you kind of get a feel for the ways you need to approach pressure, handle pressure, and just the way that teams are bringing that much heat at him? Because that seems like it's part of the learning process for him early on. Well, in relation to how the keeper game and the play pass game can kind of like build off of each other, if they do, like, if they are trying to play certain schemes to kind of combat you getting out on the edge, this is where then your Mm -hmm. play pass with people sliding across the formation to pick up that free end can kind of work to your benefit because just remember anytime somebody brings pressure, they're going to play with less underneath zone defenders. Now there are those zone schemes where it's going to give you the illusion of zone pressure overloading a side, and then they can drop out and still play with the same underneath zone defenders. The other thing nowadays is there's so much what you would call like match concepts where it's a zone concept with match principles. So by the end of the play, it ends up playing out almost looking like as the play develops some man schemes. Well, If they're trying to do certain things off the edge to kind of combat you getting out on the edge on the keeper game, you can transition to play pass and run your play pass concepts with them having less zone defenders underneath. So there is a way for you to still be successful. Obviously, within those offenses, what I've seen over time and what I've played in was that when you're able to run the ball successfully, it really has an impact on the pressures that teams can bring because now you're able to set up the play pass game because of a successful run game. When that offense has a hard time, is when the, uh, when the running game isn't necessarily working. Now the play pass game doesn't work out quite the same. Your shots on maybe first and second down, they don't play out the same way. Well, now if your shots and first and second down aren't playing out or you're not being able to establish the run, you're setting yourself up on third and you know seven, eight plus, now it becomes difficult because now the defense can tee off. Now they can start to play those third downs and bring the pressures that they want to bring. And for a young quarterback, so much of it is recognizing coverages behind those pressures, right? What type of scheme are they in? I think that's also why in the league you're seeing this kind of evolvement into these pure progression type reads. It's not so much middle open, middle close reads anymore where you're asking these quarterbacks to identify pre and post snap. What am I getting and where do I want to go with the ball? A lot of it is is now pure progression. This is where our progression starts regardless of coverage, regardless of scheme. And then based off of that, you can cancel that out or stay on it based off of what you see and progress through. And I think that that helps, especially young quarterbacks. It's still hard to win this league because disguises, pressures, and then also those match 
kind of uh, schemes that defenses play because, you know, yeah, you may get a play call where something's built in for man, built in for zone. And as you try to identify, it plays out the same way. And that's it's so funny that you say that because I, I talked to a lot of people coming into the season about teams playing more too high shells on early downs in order to help with disguises. And one of the answers that a lot of offensive coaches came to was we need more all purpose plays. We have stuff that's not just designed for one different look. And that pure progression type stuff seems to fall into that bucket where it doesn't matter what you see. You need to play this out because what you see is probably lying to you before the ball is snapped. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's some really good stuff. There's some just like I see some of the schemes that some of these defensive coordinators are, are throwing at quarterbacks. And like, you know, that pre and post snap read when you're looking at your iPad watching tape is one thing. When it's a pre and post snap read and you're on the field and you're looking through your face mask, like it's another. Right. Um, and I, I think also you go talk to any vet like this is not just about young quarterbacks. And like this isn't about just rookies. This is about vets also. You go talk to them of some of the things that they like. When that play call comes in that they know is a pure progression read, like they like that. That allows them to play fast, especially when it's something that they have a lot of experience doing or when it's with certain personnel that they trust, right? Because there's these zone concepts where they match things up, it's still about guys. It's still about guys winning against somebody else. And when you have your guys that you trust and you got confidence in, you as a quarterback can just cut the ball loose. You, 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 you can let it go. Like I look at, like I know we've kind of talked a lot about Zach right now, but I look at some of the plays that have not worked for him. And some of it is just, it's that timing between him and another player, right? It's the mm -hmm. depth of, of their route. It's him in the pocket trying to be in rhythm on time or being slightly out of rhythm, but maybe not having that experience with that player because in rhythm or out of rhythm, there is still a chemistry you have with guys. You know, we have a chance to work with Dak Prescott on the offseason. Dak has built such a good chemistry in rhythm and sometimes not in rhythm with some of the guys on his team, right? Well, Zach's a young guy. He, you know, he doesn't have a handful of years there yet. It will come. But in some of the things that are being called mistakes, right, in his first four games, like I look at it and it's just, it's a, it's just a, like a, a chemistry thing with him and his player being on the same page. And I've been around this as well. My NFL career kind of started out with, it was, you know, a coaching staff that drafted me. They're fired. New staff comes in, new offense. Then I go to another team, okay, another offense. Then I'm, I, I get traded there and I'm on another offense. I've seen a lot of these installments of new offenses many times. When you're building an offense with players, it takes time for those guys to get a feel for the offense as well, where they know it innately. They're not having to think about it. They, they can just play within that system. That Jets system and as well as the other rookie quarterbacks that are playing in systems that are new to them and those players are getting new offenses, they're all going to grow together in it. And as they continue to build, that's when all of a sudden things just happen second nature. It's not there yet, but it will be. It's funny because the things I've noticed where it just looks off with them is a lot of outbreaking timing routes where it's about depths and rhythm. And he's he, he's uh, short hopped a couple. He's overthrown a couple. But it clearly there's just a little bit of a disconnect between what's going on with the two sides of that, which is interesting that you mentioned that because I've noticed it, too. Well, yeah. And some of it is also right because I watched all Zach's tape at BYU, um, you know, him functioning from under center uh, in those drop back passing games like BYU. Most of their under center stuff was was off the play pass game. Right. Yep. So he's got a great comfort going under center, running the keeper game and the play pass game from under center, but not a traditional drop back. Right. But in some of the scheme that they're utilizing there, they were they're wanting him to be able to drop back from under center, which you should be able to do. Right. But that's that like it's not only just being comfortable like Zach would have to work on being comfortable with it in the collegiate game if he was still in college. He's in the pros, so he's jumping up a level, 
The chaos that's happening around him is different than the college game. And now he's doing it from under center. All things, like I'm saying, the more he does it, the more growth he's going to have in it, the more comfortable he's going to get. The one last thing I want to ask you about him. Do you have a sense for how their communication and just how their coaching plan for him has changed after losing Greg Knapp and just the way that he communicates with Mike and how that has shifted? Because that's a really that's a huge thing to happen to a young quarterback coming into his first year to lose your quarterback coach on the eve of the season. Do you have any sense for how the communication lines have kind of shifted there because of that? Well, you know, having ties to Zach and the, and like the coaches there, obviously like, I don't know everything, but some things I do know. And, you know, that was a huge blow, uh, not only from like a team standpoint for their young quarterback, for the coaches, but also just from a personal standpoint, because of course, such a well-loved guy uh, by so many people. So there's like a human blow that happens. Right. And even from Zach's standpoint, like that's your first coach. That's the coach that you're connecting with. And then all of a sudden, boom, that guy's gone. And he is such a great dude. Right. So like, you know, Obviously, there are some conversations that I've been able to have with their coaches and, and Zach that, you know, I'm not going to share those. Um, of course. But also, I'm not totally in the building. So I don't know what their response was to here's how we're going to handle this. What I do know is that, like, there's a comfort. Like, Zach is really happy to be there. He's really happy with the way they have things set up. I can't speak for him outside of that. But I, but I do know, obviously, from a, from a football and a life they, they would love to have Greg still there. Um, and they, they, they just tried to do the best they can with that blow happening so fast. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Robert Mays and John Beck. You can check out the full interview on the Athletic Football Show. Okay, on to the Week 5 picks. It's been a good start to the season for Connor, unfortunately. Not so much for Marissa or I. I'm 2-7, and seven, Marissa 3-5. and five. Connor is 5-3 and three heading into this week. Here's the picks. Connor has the Chargers, minus 1.5. The Bills, plus 2.5. And, and the Rams, minus 2.5. Marissa will take the Steelers, minus 1. Saints, minus 1.5. And the Eagles plus three and a half. And I will have the Jets. That's right. Taking the Jets plus three. Green Bay minus three. And the Steelers minus one. If you want to save 50% off a subscription to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash can't wait. We'll talk to you again next week. Can't wait.